Welcome to the Top Order podcast this week in cricket time here on the show. England-Pakistan in Test Cricket, Australia-West Indies Test Cricket. We'll talk a little bit of New Zealand domestic stuff and the White Ferns. But is it really Test Cricket or T20 with a red ball? All coming up on the Top Order podcast. Stay tuned. Well, boys, we've got a little bit of a diet of Test Cricket, which for the purest sinners, we're all um, pretty happy. I am still in an absolute state of shock. So I think I've got to let one of you two boys probably open uh, the show because we're going to talk England, Pakistan um, first. Because look, I, I, I can't make my mind up. I, I need to get a neutral's view on what I've just seen. But yeah, c- can you help me? Well, I, I I do want to throw it back to you quite quickly, but I, I also do want to mention uh, that Baldy's obviously forgotten that we put some of these podcasts out on YouTube at the moment because he's sitting there dancing during the intro. So he's <laughs> he's obviously forgotten I'm that in we're, a good mood today. we're trying to do that. So that was that was quality. But um, look, this test had everything, right? I mean, it had uh, it had all the runs. It had all the, you know. It had late drama. It had head rubbing. It had toilet breaks. It had so many different elements about it, but I, I actually want to start really by talking about uh, some of the comments that you were making during the test match because I think uh, you know, I, I think I said last week I've become uh, you know, a, I guess a, a follow. I'll say a follower. It, it might not be uh, that extreme, but a follower of this England side and and what they're doing. And and um, I mean, I said to you before, it amazes me that they've been. That nine months ago we were in this situation. I, I took a clip on Twitter yesterday and, and posted a screenshot of uh, an an Andrew Miller um, uh, test report from the West Indies, where it was basically like you know this is England's last rights of of their test cricket. They'd you know lost by ten wickets to West Indies. They'd won one test and set in their last seventeen. It was a complete shambles, and now here we are, and the whole world is celebrating what they've done. But a day before that, you weren't really celebrating. So I'm going to read directly from our, our Slack channel. And uh, I'd said something about our de- about the declaration, and then uh, you know, obviously we we're thinking about the show, and we're going to have you know we're going to talk about England Pakistan. And basically, you said, you know, if, if England lose, I'm I'm not going to talk about this game. Uh, you said I'm apoplectic with rage currently, as this is not positive or aggressive. It's reckless and disrespectful. So. I might just step back from the microphone now and you can kind of explain your comments. Yeah, look, I've got to say um, it's been a it's been a rocky um, couple of days for me with the <laughs> social channels. Um, I'm involved in a couple of WhatsApp conversations. And um, after we got 650 in the first innings, I you know talked about the fact that no one had gone on and got a really big score. And one of my mates replied with, that's a great positive uh, or negative spin on an extremely positive day. <laughs> and then, yeah, when it came to that sort of declaration, I think I was kind of like, they've not so much as dangled a carrot, but, you know, baked a carrot cake, iced it and delivered it to the Pakistan dressing room um, <laughs> with that declaration. But look, time will, you know, time will tell and, and time has told in terms of the timing of that declaration. If you kind of look at the way the game finished, I reckon we had about, no more than five or six minutes mm. until that game had been called for for bad light. Um, I I think genuinely all three results were possible going into that fourth innings. At lunchtime, all three results were still possible going into uh, the final couple of sessions. And you know, to be honest, even at tea, there was a chance that you know Pakistan could have pulled off a 
um, a victory at that stage. Although, you know, it would have been interesting to see how England would have gone in terms of trying to slow the, the game down a little bit. I, I, but I don't think they would have done. Um, I've reflected a hell of a lot today. Um, and I think where I've actually got to is that initially I was probably looking at it with a lens of Michael Atherton and Nasser Hussain commenting or commentating on the game. The fact that as an English cricket fan growing up through the 90s, there weren't a massive amount of riches. I remember celebrating Mike Atherton batting for about uh, three days in Johannesburg to get 185. Jack Russell got 29 off about four days um, to support him. And that those were the kind of victories that we celebrated um, alongside, you know, the, the odd, you know, the odd bright spot. So I think I'd probably just become desensitized to the fact that you had to grind and you had to fight. Um, and, you know, there was such a thing as an honourable draw. But when I actually reflect on it, I've also seen in recent times, a lot of times when we've gone on too long with the bat and where a lot of teams go on too long with the bat and absolutely crush the opposition and give them no opportunity to, to get into the game and it, and it peters out into that draw. So I've kind of done the math without doing the math because I don't do that. I'll leave that to, to Baldy. I, I figure if we play this way for three or four years, we might set someone something that they chase down and we go hats off. But I think on balance, we're probably going to win more games of cricket um, by playing this kind of uh, style. Um, and it's going to be bloody exciting to watch. And I, I guess what I'm really interested to see is a little bit like Ben Stokes in that T20 World Cup, um, where, let's be honest, he blocked the shit out of it in the final mm. for a period of time. Whether or not that you know there are going to be times where that's the brand that they have to play to to stay or wrestle their way back into a game, or whether it's going to be this you know high octane jet fuel cricket the whole time. Um, but look, I, I just want to say to the boys, I'm sorry for my private social <laughs> media comments. Um, I take them pretty much all back, um, except um, I you know I still stand by a lot of the stuff I said to. Um, my best mate Russ back in in England because um, I've never admitted I'm wrong to him and I'm not about to start doing it now. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I'm on board with the way that these guys are playing cricket. It's uh, it was fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic to watch. Well, how can you not be on board with it? It's just so exciting. I mean, if you have a look at 6.7 runs and over on the first day of a Test match, what was it, uh, 18 or 1700 runs scored yep. in a result test? So most runs scored in a test match that didn't result in a draw. Most runs scored in a test match that wasn't a timeless test. Most run, like most centuries, most wasn't it? most it hundreds. Only time ever. Records. Only time ever in the history of test cricket that all four opening batsmen in the first innings have all got hundreds. And all of this all conspired to reduce produce a result because of a, well, I won't say a sporting declaration, but it was a bold and brave declaration. It was the lowest declaration in terms of runs required to win with a live test match with four sessions to go in the history of test cricket. Wow. So, so you know, England have really, like Adam said, they've not dangled the carrot. They've, they've baked it and they've iced it with some delicious sort of creme fraiche <laughs> and um, a little bit of lemon juice and, and then pr presented it to the dressing room with walnuts on top. But it produced... Remind me never to come to your house if that's how you cook carrots, by the way. <laughs> Why? It's a delicious carrot cake. Oh, it was a cake. Yeah. You just said it was carrots. Okay, fair enough. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm not gonna, carry on. Uh, uh, thank you very much. You, you, let, you, know, you know I love you know I love a pudding. Look, <laughs> all I was going to say though is not only is it fantastic Test cricket, but how good's this Red Bull reset been for England? I mean, they, their IT department is superb. They reset and boosted the hard drive and added more RAM and completely defragmented the 
operating system <laughs> and all sorts of boosters have gone on and they've got new antivirus. I mean, it's just incredible, the transformation of English cricket in the period of nine months. And, and it, whether or not you attribute that all to Brendan McCullum and his outlook on life and the way he wants to go about it, England players have performed to that level, right? It's one thing to talk the talk, but England have continued to walk the walk in all sorts of different conditions. Um, and it's spicing up this uh, this current test series, sure. But every test that England plays, we're looking forward to the Ashes now with renewed vigour. Uh, we're looking forward to all the tests that England play. And then we're looking to the rest of the world now and going, right, okay, well, England have laid down a marker here. Like, what are the rest of the world doing to, to spice up the the excitement of their test cricket. Well, I mean, you think about, uh, it's so easy to think about comparisons because Pakistan, or Australia just went there, right? And I think we look back at that series and, and when, I, when I think about it, it was one of the most boring series in, in recent history. And I think this test could have been, well, this test felt even worse, to, you know, at various points in terms of, like, it's it was almost impossible to, to get wickets, it looked like at times, because the pitch was so flat. Ball, do you want to jump in? So after three days of this test, if you combine the previous test where I think 1,400 runs were scored, mm. 1,100 runs were scored in like the first two days of, or three days maybe even of, of the second test for the loss of like 20 wickets. Mm. So like 2,800 runs were scored for the loss of, well, I can't remember, 20 wickets or 25 wickets, something like that in the first um, three days of this test plus that last test. So it was an absolute batter's paradise, let's be fair. But England have engineered a result and they've worked their butts off with some pretty unheralded bowlers, by the way, um, to produce that. I mean, Jimmy Anderson aside, he's a pretty yeah. household name. But <laughs> but some of the spinners, right, that have performed at a high level for England and the batters that have made hundreds, these are new players on the scene. So it's next man up for England. It, and you can tell by my voice, it's hard not to get excited about it, right? Yeah, well, look, I mean, Binksy probably wants to touch on a few of those players, you know, shine, uh, you know, shine the spotlight at them for, for a second. But I will just add to that that... Like I would never have anticipated that I was up at you know twelve thirty last night on a you know Monday night watching this test you know five well you know six months ago I certainly would have wouldn't have anticipated that I would have stayed up to watch the final of England Pakistan and the first test that you know in, in many ways is for a New Zealand fan somewhat a meaningless test but you know. Even five days ago, when, when I saw England just smashing it, Pakistan, when they batted, looked very comfortable, you wouldn't have thought that your test cricket was going to come down to this. And I think, you know, you've all guys have all talked about the sporting declaration. I think what England did really well is that, you mentioned it before, Binksy, I think they realised, and actually a lot of the commentators, you know, and media commentators that were talking about it, and even um, fans that were, were talking about, oh, there's so many overs left in this test, there actually wasn't. Because there was so much light, or so much, so many uh, overs yeah. that were going to be lost to to. Um, they to lost light. fifteen or at least fifteen overs a day throughout the course of the Test match. I think exactly seventy-five overs on the on the first day, on and first that's day, a yeah. precedent, obviously, for for what time they were going to turn the lights out. Um, you know, each day after that. And um, Lippy, I do want to ask you about Will Jackson. Your view on him? He was, you know, unlikely to play but for illness in the camp leading into the game. I don't know if you've seen the Twitter clip going around of Joe Root uh, running off the field and the stump microphone picks him up. And this is on the fourth day going, Stokesy, I'm off for a poo. Because um, obviously he was he was pr- he was pretty uh, pretty ill. So that was at the fall of a wicket, I think, as well, which made it even more rare. Um, look, the, the batting clearly, you know, where where do you where do you start? Um, 
you know, I think great to see Ben Duckett come in. They've placed some faith in him and his ability to play on these kind of pitches and he's repaid them immediately with 100. Um, I think interestingly as well, at the end of the first day's place, you know, he was ill, you know, leading into the test match. He said, look, I didn't have anything left in the tank at the end of that um, innings. I was absolutely cooked. Mm. Um, and I think the same with a number of the other guys as well, which might have actually been part of the, the reason they played that way. They were just like, do you know what? I reckon I've got this amount of energy in me. I might as well expend it all in, you know, scoring a, a you know a strike rate of 120 in a test match, uh, you know, rather than um, trying to stretch it out over six or seven hours. I, th- I think we um, actually have to stop that talk because this is how they play now. I, I, I don't think it's like we have to look for reasons for why they played a certain way. This yeah, is that, just how yeah. England play test cricket. Look, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Um, for me, though, the stat, the standout with the bat has to be Harry Brook. Mm. Um, you know, records aside, 24 off and over in that first innings, went out and broke his record the next day with 27 off and over. Um, he it, it, it hit the ball and you were kind of just like, oh, yeah, that's one to the sweeper. And then it was literally in the stand a millisecond later. Um, that guy has got some power and... You know, there was comparisons being made with, you know, the likes of Kevin Peterson in terms of the, some of the shots that he played. And look, I, I'd have to agree. The freedom in which all the batters played. And uh, again, shout out to, you know, to Will Jacks, um, you know, coming in, test debut. Would have easy, been easy for him to go, this is a flat deck. Let You know, I'll get myself a 50 off, you know, 60 or 70 balls it. He, no, no thought of it whatsoever. You know, went out there and smashed it all around the park and scored at over 100 runs. Um per 100 balls. Um, but it's the bowlers. I mean, the, the probably the, the thing that helped me turn around my, my view a little bit was listening to Jimmy Anderson, who says, this is the greatest test victory I've ever mm. played a part in. And he's played, you know, 160, 170 test matches and he's buying into it and, and he's talking in those, um, in those terms about it. So, um, look, massive credit to him and Ollie Robinson as well. We've talked about him a little bit, but to go to a country where you've not really played before and England haven't played for 17 years um, and to figure out the way to bowl on these pitches and um, have some plans and have developed a wobble seam and reverse and, and all these kind of things. Boy, you know, if he went to university, he'd be getting a PhD in six uh, six months because he's a bloody quick learner. Um, look absolutely fantastic in, in terms of that. Um, that seeming, but I'm really keen to get your impressions of Jax as an as an off spinner. Not played a lot of first class cricket. Looks quite loopy, but six for in that first innings. You know, have we got someone here that um, you know could be our could be our Nathan Horitz? It's funny because I'm I'm going to give myself away here, and uh, I talked about how exciting it was, and I, and how I watched uh, that the last day, the last day, and the first day are the two that I focused on uh, quite a lot. So I didn't actually see a lot of Jack's bowl. So uh, you know, actually during some of that time, I'm thinking about the Sunday night um, uh, when I was uh, when I was up late watching cricket. I was actually watching Ford Trophy highlights uh, here in New Zealand. So you know, I can I can probably get my reputation back by saying that I was watching cricket. But uh, yeah, haven't actually seen a lot of Jacks. But what I did think was really interesting about the bowling performance now that you've thrown to me is that. It was the seamers that won the game in the in the fifth in, in you know in the fourth innings on the fifth day and you know Baldy you talked to before you know unheralded players and, and all those guys but it was Anderson and Robinson who you know like you say I, I don't think uh, he hasn't played in this this area of the country of the world before but 
you know, he, I don't think he's really an unheralded player now. He's sort of had his real, a real up and down over the last, or well, since the start of his test career, right? He came on, you know, with a hiss and a roar. Then he had the off-field stuff that, that all flared up. And, and then, in England, you know, goes to Australia, all the fitness things. And, and now he's come back and, you know, made a, made a huge contribution in this test. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, as you say, everyone for England played their part. And, and it's been, it, you know, it's just such a, an impressive Test, test win. I'm glad you mentioned that fitness thing for Ollie Robinson because that was really the big knock on Ollie Robinson when he came back and, and played that sort of second, third, fourth, fifth test, etc. was that he would bowl an awesome spell at the start of the day, but his second and third spells would drop off in terms of pace and in terms of venom and penetration quite significantly, and he wasn't the same bowler at the end of the day that he was at the start of the day. What he's managed to figure out here and what's so impressive about Ollie Robinson is that he is much, much, much fitter and you can see that in his performance in Pakistan because in the subcontinent, if you're a seam bowler, you have to be uber fit. You have to have that um, that longevity. That that um, I'm 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 failing for words here, but but you have to have that stamina, right? As a, mm. as a fast bowler, as a seam bowler, and he's been criticised for not having that. So to see him perform so wonderfully well late in the Test match just shows how how far he's come in terms of his stamina and his endurance, which is the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, so you know, it's 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 just brilliant to see the development of Ollie Robinson in that respect. I have I, before we sort of you know, Banksy, you might want to shine um, a light on some other people in the Test match, but. Before you know, we do move on. I know we always start the show and we go, oh, look, well, before the show, we can think, oh, we'll just get through this in 30 minutes. We'll just quickly round and you know, suddenly 20 minutes has gone and we're still only talking about this England. But I do, I do want to talk about Pakistan and in, in in the sense that what are they doing with their pitches? And and I will say that not necessarily as a criticism um, to the players because I see Baba Azam has come out today and said this is not the pitch that we wanted. This we wanted a pitch that was going to turn, you know, a, a pitch that was going to, to be more suited to them. You know, halfway through the test, I was thinking, have they just produced the flattest wicket in the world because they know that England is playing this attacking cricket and they're going to play their, you know, call their bluff to the absolute ultimate and say, look, you want to play your, you know, fancy brand of cricket, then we're going to produce this absolute road. You set us whatever we want and we're going to chase it down without any trouble. But then they go, you know, then England goes and does this and, and it, it's just bizarre because I think Pakistan, they they had before this, and still I guess they're going to have to do incredibly well, but they had a chance to really push their claim for World Test Championship final sort of status, and they've produced three roads against Australia, and now they've produced another one here that are not conducive, you know, as much as this did produce in a really exciting Test match in the end, it's pro- they're, they're wickets that are not conducive to results. I think if New Zealand was over there, this game would be a draw. So I just don't really understand what they're doing. Can anyone help me out? Yeah, so look, I think I watched the vast majority of the test match and I think um, one of the things that, you know, they talked about it from a pitcher's perspective was not only the pitch, but also the cricket ball as well. So um, they talked about the fact that I think they trialled um, using the Dukes ball um, to try and even out bat versus ball, but play with a kookaburra in this test match. Um, Ralph Pindy, the home of show about tart, they're actually in their domestic four-day cricket have actually been leaving a little bit of grass on that pitch at Ralpindi and there's been pretty low scoring games where uh, seam bowling has actually come to the fore and and, and won games of first-class cricket. Um, interesting that the groundsman actually is uh, Pakistan cricket board groundsman by the sounds of things who goes round the, uh, the different uh, venues and obviously sets up the local ground staff to prepare 
um, a wicket. Um, I, I just wonder whether this was, you know, the homecoming of, you know, a, a, a test cricketing nation where I know Australia were there last year, but England always take a lot of fans. They take over every hotel um, in the vicinity. There's a bit of a carnival atmosphere. I, w- I wonder whether there was a hint of, you know, we do want this to be a bit of a CEO pitch. Um, so, you know, that we get five days um, you know, as a bit of a tourism advert um, mm. for you know, it, you know, it's you know, it's good to be back in Pakistan. So I, I wonder whether that has played into it in terms of maximising um, the rights of the sponsors and things like that. The um, I forget the name of the sponsor with the you know the cups of tea, the Sensodyne <laughs> moment every five minutes as well. Yeah. Um, you know that the air conditioning plug or whatever it is. It, there's there's various ones. So I wonder whether there is a little bit of commerciality in that. But it's mm. going to be interesting to see what they. Uh, what they do, because what I would say is, you know, that they had on paper leading into this with the illness, um, a bowling attack that was, I was actually worried about, you know, Harris Rife, you know, revelation in that T20 World Cup, um, Shah, um, and then, you know, there's always going to be spin stocks that, you know, Pakistan um, bring, Uh, not a great debut for the, for the leggy when you look at the and the numbers. So look, it'd be really interesting to to see. And yeah, look, wouldn't it be ironic now if England just blocked the shit out of it for two <laughs> tests and and go away with a one nil um, victory? Before I wrap up, though, I just do want to say very very stealthily, we've talked a little bit about Ollie Robinson. His stats now: fifty six wickets in twelve test matches, average just a tick over twenty, mm. and a strike rate of forty four. Mm. Um, so Huge. yeah, if he can stay, if he can stay fit. Um, and let's be honest, play with the Duke's ball for half of his career. Um, he could have some pretty decent numbers um, in five or six years' time. But um, yeah, look, really looking forward to the rest of this series now because it's going to be absolutely crackerjack. Yeah, look, and and um, I, I guess if we if you're going to let me, you know, if we're going to round out that series, it. it it sort of made me think what are New Zealand going to have to do when we go over here? It's, it's, that's largely, you know, my interest in, in this series to start with, as I said, was give up till his central contract back. Well, I I'm not sure that he's especially, well, I, I mean, I was joking. You're going to need to smash it. Any better is, uh, is suited over there at the moment. And, and I think th- that kind of was one of the drivers why I was sitting up on Sunday night, looking at Ford trophy highlights, because we had two of the big candidates, <laughs> You know, playing, uh, performing in the Ford Trophy in Ratchan Ravindra and Will Young, who you know, long-time listeners of the podcast will know. I've I've invested a lot of stock and got a lot of Will Young stock. Yeah, yeah a lot of stock in Will Young, and it you, wasn't. Looking... You've got almost as much Will Young stock as Raj has Ratchan Ravindra stock. Yep, yep. And uh, you know, to be fair, watching those two innings, they both scored hundreds on Sunday in the um, in the Ford Trophy. Ratchan Ravindra's innings was. I mean, look, I was watching, you know, a highlights package. To be fair, um, so it's not, you know, it's not the, uh, it's not every single ball, but that was a classy innings. And it, and it, basically, watching that innings, it made me kind of think. I wonder if Binksy and I talked last week about um, playing, you know, picking sides for the conditions and uh, and how England, like Michael Atherton, talked a lot about that, about how England have gone into. We're going to look at the next test now. We're not going to just pick sides for who's going to perform in the Ashes. We're going to pick sides for who's going to suit us in this test. And and I think, it, well, watching Ratchin made me wonder whether they, whether the selectors are giving any thought to opening the batting with Ratchin in in this Pakistan Test series. I know Will Young. Um, I actually think Will Young plays spin really well in that the hundred that he scored in the Ford Trophy came down the wicket a lot, hit the ball back over the bowler's head. He's 
you know, I think if we think back to when New Zealand was over in India, he scored an 80. He's done reasonably well. I, as I said, still think Will Young kind of ha- deserves a, a, to keep his spot. But I, I just wonder if... I, I would really like to see New Zealand start to think maybe a little bit outside of we're just going to pick our best 11. And I, I really do start to invest in why don't we pick the guys that we think can perform best in this environment or in this uh, scenario. And, and that's where Rutchen, if you pick him batting opening, he gives you that bowling option as well. And, and it gives you a lot of different options in your squad. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were joking uh, this morning, I uh, know this afternoon actually on the way back from work, uh, that New Zealand should just pick um, their one-day side and an unheralded off-spinner, and that's the formula <laughs> for success in Pakistan. But, I mean, all joking aside, I think there is an opportunity for New Zealand to take a lesson from from what we've seen from England in that your opening batters are going to have a good time of it at the top. So if you can pick opening batters that can bat a long time and score quickly, there's definite opportunity there. Less so in the end of the test match, in the back half of the, excuse me. Baldy's about to sneeze, so <laughs> I'll, I'll pick up on that point. And, and um, by saying, yeah, look, I, I don't, I don't think we're going to see anything especially different. We go, we, you know, we're going to see a New Zealand side that probably looks very similar to the the side that was over in England. Uh, I think, da- you know, Daryl Mitchell will clearly be middle order. Uh, player there for, there for New Zealand. So we're going to have probably, you know, three, four, you're going to have Latham at the top. You're going to either have, you're going to have Young, I would expect, and then you're going to have Williamson, Latham, Mitchell, Blundell as your, as your top six. But what it does is, you know, we, we're going to then be considering an all-rounder, which is probably, you know, Michael Bracewell, Rutch and Ravinder. I would say they might be fighting for that spot. But you know, you go into this bowling lineup, and there's going to be no bolt. We've got we're going to have Saudi over there, who I expect is looking at what Jimmy Anderson done and Ollie Robertson have done, and thought actually I've done that over in in, um, in India before. I've done it in the UAE before. I've done it in those conditions, and actually done it really well. Neil Wagner is going to be thinking I'm going to have to bowl a lot of overs, and then we're going to be looking at spin. And uh, you know, I, I would even expect, given that what we saw with uh, Daryl Mitchell in the last. ODI against India that he might get a run. So yeah, there there are it's probably gonna look very similar, but I would love to see them pick a couple of names in there that, you know, I you know, probably not that uh keen to see Henry Nichols go over there as a, a, a squad player. Uh I would I would be interested to see them picking someone else, but Look, I, I don't know. There's there's still a lot of things to think about as we go into this uh, into these next couple of tests, and I don't know when this New Zealand squad is going to be named. It, it can't be too far away, given that uh, you know New Zealand is is playing right off the back of that that England series. They start, I think, you know, very only a few days after Christmas they start that test series. So yeah, it's it, there's a lot to think about in the coming days, and and I I would like to see them think slightly out of the box, even though I'm usually a big fan of let's just kind of stick with this core that has done us a good job in the past. Nippy, before we move on and talk a little bit about Australia, West Indies, you, um, a quick word on the White Ferns. They've certainly been doing the business. I looked in and one of the games, it was 25 for five and thought that's a bit of a collapse and it got even worse for, for the, the, the Bangladeshi girls. But um, yeah, White Ferns, yeah, showing their class so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, in, in many ways, it probably means there's there hasn't been a huge amount to talk about from these first two ODI or two T20s, sorry, because 
New Zealand has just dominated it in such a, a strong way. But I did want to kind of shine a light on, um, you know, because it has been mainly, you know, the usual suspects kind of contributing. But I wanted to shine a light on Maddie Green because I think she's becoming, she's she's in a very uh, important player, I think, for for New Zealand's batting on it. We talk we talk about Devine and Bates and Amelia Kerr and, you know, as we've said many times, those three when we talked about the Commonwealth Games and all, you know, all World Cup. Those three have been the ones that have had to kind of stand up and perform. Otherwise, New Zealand weren't going to get the run. Satterthwaite before that as well. But Maddie Green is actually, if you go go and look, she's got a couple of 30s in this, this T20 series. She's starting to become a consistent performer. And I think if she can do that, it's it's funny. You go and look at her, her game log of, uh, of, of her ODIs and T20s. And it's not great viewing, to be honest, at the start. A lot of low scores. But the last five or six in T20s and ODIs, both both of those formats, she's starting to put you know 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s on the board consistently. And if she can do that at five, five, four, five, it actually it it makes this batting lineup kind of work a lot better. So yeah, look, I I, I think it's great, and uh, I just really hope that that continues. I mean, I know you know Bangladesh, not one of the powerhouses of women's cricket at this stage. Before that, the the games were against the West Indies. But, yeah, like I said, if this can continue it, it really does kind of put New Zealand, you know, it gives New Zealand another sort of option there that I don't think we've really sort of had because once those three or four names have have been uh, dismissed, it's been pretty tough going for for the women's side in in the last year or so. Baldy, you went on the pod last week and Lippy and I glossed over um, the start to that Australia test match. So it's only fair that you get your right of reply. Normal service resumed from that mid-order powerhouse of Marnus and Steve Smith in a test match against the West Indies. Um, really nice to see Shivnon Chanderpaul's son um, at the top of the order with some of the some of his dad's idiosyncrasies as well. Um, some injury worries for Australia leading into that Adelaide uh, test match against the same opposition, whether or not P- Pat Cummins will... Um, make it onto the field. But that was always going to be a worry, wasn't it, for Australia with Cummins playing uh, most formats of cricket. But, um, Baldy, did you watch a lot of the game? And, and if so, what did you, you take away from that victory against, um, let's be honest, an under-par West Indies side? Yeah, I think West Indies made Australia look pretty good in, in parts of that test match. I did have it on in the background uh, a couple of afternoons last week, and I was able to pick up some of that play from that Optus Stadium in Perth. Look, very much normal service from pretty much all of that Australian order, right? So Usman Kawaja, very solid at the top, very consistent performer for Australia and has been for some time. He's now averaging 46-47 in Test cricket, so he's been a fantastic performer at the top of the order since coming back into that team. Nothing really out of the ordinary from him. Manus, we got a, a, a really quintessential Manus performance right in that test match. We got a lot of no runs. We got a lot of talking at bat pad unnecessarily and, and talking absolute rubbish into the stump microphone. But we also got some pretty decent number three batting from Manus, right? Mm. Yes, he gave a lot of chances through the slips. I think he scored 300 runs in that test match. And I reckon he scored 289 of them through the slips cordon between <laughs> between sort of the wicketkeeper and, and Gully. But we really did get to get to see some really good performance from Manus from a pure number three batting point of view, right? He left fantastically well, punished anything that was in his zone, and really once he got a chance, 
He made them pay, right? We, we heard a recent interview with Ken Peace, or you will hear it. I'm not sure when we're, going to, when we're going to release it in the pod about, you know, players who have really high averages but but still have high averages after giving a chance. So mm. Manus probably averages 10 in test cricket if, if, he, if his first chances are all taken. He's a really lucky bugger. But he really knuckles down when he gets a chance and he makes you pay. He makes you really, really pay. The thing I really like, the thing that is really warming the cockles of my heart is Steve Smith standing still. <laughs> his change in his technique, his change in his stance and the way he sets up to bat now should strike fear into the heart of every bowling attack because now that he is still and he has mastered keeping his head and his hands and his eyes all in a good, stable position, he is a much, much more consistent player. We saw it in the one-day series. We've seen it here in this test match. He's notched up his fourth double hundred. He looks a completely different player. He is accessing areas of the ground with great technical, um, classical cricket shots. He's still got some of the idiosyncrasies. He hasn't quite got rid of all the pad tugs and all the other sort of bits that make Steve Smith a unique individual. Well, a semi-unique individual. It's more of a duopoly now than a, <laughs> than a monopoly on some of that idiosyncratic behaviour. But look, between the two of them, 404 runs in that, in that first test, we got a classic Travis head innings, um, you know, runner ball, attacking number five. Fantastic. You couldn't ask for any more from, from Travis Head. And then the bowlers did the job, right? It was a pretty good batting wicket, that wicket, right? So yeah. so the West Indies, um, Chanderpaul and Brathwaite. I mean, Brathwaite was superb in this test match. Yeah, okay. 60 in the first, 100 in the second. There's a lot still to like from this West Indies team, even though they're bowling, if you have a look at it. Undermanned, absolutely. Under par, probably on day one. They didn't bowl with a lot of penetration. But, you know, they, they lost a couple of players in that test match as well. Mayers didn't bowl. Uh, I think yeah, Seals picked... Bomber went, went off uh, with Se- the, the concussion. Exactly. Seals picked up an injury as well. So undermanned, but Australia outperformed them, really. Let's let's just quickly pick up on Craig Brathwaite, just to give him some credit, really. Mm. Because I actually think um, he's starting to be pretty underrated as a... Uh, well, I think in the global game, that maybe there's not enough talked about him... In terms of being one of the better all-rounders, uh, better openers in the in the game, test openers. Because, uh, look, I haven't. I will say this just sort of thinking about recent performances and not actually checking any stats at all. But I would say he's got to be got to be right up there. I mean, we, you know, we talk about uh, going. I think someone Dean Elgar was someone that's in a lot of these conversations with the. You know, I'm thinking six months ago it was you know Latham was kind of in this conversation Warner. Uh, and I mean, Kawaja's done really well, but and Sharma and all of those sort of players that are, that have been around for a little while. But Brathwaite, he just feels like he he just gets it done, right? He, he's not doing it at a, at a you know huge clip. We've just talked about all this England Pakistan stuff, but he just does the job in a side that has been underperforming for quite a long time. He's averaging seventy four this year, seventy three point eight through six Test matches. He's yeah. got has he got three hundreds? Oh, that's not out. Where's his hundreds? It'll be on here somewhere. Uh, I'll find it for you. Stand by, please. Call. This is not great listening, by the way. Riveting, just, riveting well, podcasting. Well, look, whilst whilst Baldy finds the stats, yeah, look, I, I think, um, look, absolutely. If you look at his career numbers at the moment, thirty-five average, um, eleven Test hundreds. It probably doesn't stack up. But when we look at opening in the context of the modern game, the struggles that a number of countries have had finding established opening partnerships. It's taken Australia a long time to settle on. Um, Kawaja and Warner at the top of the year. England still haven't settled on their opening partnership, although um, you'd expect that uh, Duckett and Crawley might get another run in this next test match. 
Um, certainly another cap. Um, but um, it's been tough opening the batting in international cricket over the course of the, the last little while. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, look, absolutely. And I think the, the other piece is an, an interesting one for, you know, Bordy from a statistical perspective is when you're in a side that isn't doing well, um, there's got to be a bump there, I think, in terms of, um, you know, almost add on three or four points to your average when you're not getting much support from from the other end potentially as well. Oh, but I'm really looking forward to the support he's going to get from Tajnarayan Chanderpaul. Doesn't he look a yes. quality test crack cricketer opening the batting? I mean, say what you want about, about Shiv's technique and the parallels between father and son, but in his debut test match, he looked self-assured. He looked confident leaving the ball outside off stump. He knew where you know. He knew where his scoring zones were. I think he looks a fantastic prospect as a Test cricket. I want to put the mockers on him early doors in his career. But you know, if you've got your little black books out there, Chanderpaul comma T, <laughs> next letter in the sequence after Chanderpaul comma S is one to watch for the future. Gee, that's good. That's the next letter in the sequence. But that's uh, that, that's even better. But yeah, you know, he looked like he belonged, didn't he? he? He just looked like he belonged to that level, which was exactly what you want to see, especially from an opening batter. It, it went in their first test. So, yeah, you know, hugely, hugely excited. Uh, I think, yeah, again, Binksy and I talked about it last week, just how cool it was to to be able to to see, you know, Shiv too, I guess, you know, back back on our screens and um, be able to watch him. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully uh, we'll get to see him. La- last question before we kind of wrap up, Baldy, and uh, you, you may not be able to answer this because uh, I don't know, I know you've been busy lately and haven't uh, necessarily been keeping up with the Shield as much as... Uh, you were last year, but I saw a name that's been drafted into the Aussie squad that I know, you know, almost nothing about, and mm, not and, in my black book either, to be fair. And and there and there are a few in your black book too. So so uh, he's he's eluded a few of us, but mm. Lance Morris, who uh, in the in the reports that I saw, quickest bowler in Australia, which uh, you know when you sort of think about all the players that are around the Stark and and um, all of those guys that. He's got to be pretty sharp, right? Yeah, well, look, we just have to pump the brakes a little bit here because he's been given a nickname and we just need to go and check with the copyright people that we've <laughs> we've not infringed here. He's been given the nickname The New Wild Thing. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Sean Tate has anything to say about that. Nobody, as far as I'm aware, have reached out to either Carmen Electra or Nev Campbell <laughs> to make sure that they're okay with it. But he has been dubbed The New Wild Thing. Uh, by his Western Australian teammates who just hate facing him in the nets, apparently. Um, bowls really rapido, so 150-plus, apparently, consistently. Now, those speed guns in Perth, I think there's some <laughs> I think there's some jiggery-pokery and some skullduggery going on with them. There the, are the... with all Australian speed guns, Border. You turn them up for your own bowlers, it's uh, a fact. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we probably do actually. <laughs> um, well, we got we got we got inside the inside the the Fox Sports bunker uh, at one point during that West Indies test, and Mark Howie was uh, clean, keen to get us inside behind the scenes to have a look at how those speed guns come together. But it's really interesting, actually, how quickly they're able to pick up the changes in speed, mm. um, and they're actually able to give you the speed out of the hand by the time the ball reaches the gloves. Like by the time the ball is is in the keeper's gloves, they know and can publish on the screen how fast the ball was out of the hand. Really interesting stuff. Anyway, I digress. Lance Morris probably won't play um, in that test match. I think Boland will probably be ahead of him. World's Um, best bowler, Scott Boland. Yeah, world's best bowler, Scott Boland will be in there uh, if Pat Cummins is not fit to play. But it's good to see him get into the squad. Um, he's probably got a better chance than Michael Neeser or Mark Steckety of playing because they're both from Queensland and Queenslanders can only be 12th <laughs> men we go. in the Australian Test team. Here so it go. is a chance that, look, all jokes aside, 
raw pace is a is not a commodity in test cricket, right? Mm. We've seen how effective and deadly raw pace can be from England's point of view, Wood, uh, Jofra Archer, etc. So I'm really excited, not necessarily from a test arena point of view, but how is he able to refresh our white ball stocks potentially, right? How could we use him to the effect of, you know, some of those Jofra Archer or uh, um, Lockie Ferguson type roles in white ball cricket? That's what I'm really looking forward to being able to see from him over the coming years. Well, guys, as Lippy alluded to earlier on, we could uh, crap on the back cricket forever and ever if we're given the opportunity. Um, no, no, that wasn't aimed at you, Baldy. That's you know aimed at, aimed at all of us. No, fair know. point. Um, I've had two rants about England. Lippy's managed to mention the Ford trail at least four times in this podcast, and um, and then we've even indulged you um, with your um, yeah conspiracies conspiracies against Queenslanders. Thanks very much. Um, but but look, it is time to wrap up the podcast, as we alluded to. Interview hitting the feed as well as this week in cricket, an interview with cricketing author of 60 cricket books and 85 books in total. Ken Peace will be in the feed. Uh, a few cracking yarns um, in that interview. So look out for that. And of course, much more cricket to come. Test matches coming thick and fast. Um, Adelaide um, and England on to Multan as well for the second test in that series against Pakistan. Um, those series all wrapped up um, in time for Christmas. Um, and in time for Christmas, we'll have plenty more content as well on the Top Order podcast. So do stay tuned on the feed. Check out our socials at www.thetoporderpodcast.com. But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you very soon. Cheerio.